0: Trips Tennis Talk, the amateur podcast about professional tennis, Miami Open Finals Edition. Thanks for finding the pod. Thank you for downloading. Thanks for listening all the way to the end through space and time. That is always appreciated here at Argon Productions. The finals today were the women's singles final and the men's doubles final. Let's jump right into it. Topic one, the Women's Singles Championship at the Miami Open between number 10 seed Elena Rybakina of Kazakhstan and number 15 seed Petra Kvitova of the Czech Republic. Let's just jump right into the deep dive here, get my notes. And it was an interesting one. Going in, my expectations were not necessarily that high. I probably thought going in that a Rabakina routine victory was the most likely outcome because in recent years, Petra Kvitova has not been a very interesting player. She's not been a player that's had a lot of results, except for Cincinnati last year where she got to the finals. And that feeling is more widespread than just me. The people over at the tennis podcast were also saying that. I think it was Catherine Whitaker said she didn't find uh, Kvitova to be an interesting player when she plays a match that's only straight sets. So I guess uh, I guess you know today wasn't interesting either. Spoiler alert. Um, so back gonna serve first in this. She was down fifteen forty in the first game. And Lindsey Davenport on the broadcast, the Tennis Channel cable broadcast that I was forced to watch today. You know, let me just digress and talk about that for a second. The, to watch the WTA in the United States legally, you pay for Tennis Channel Plus and you get it on there. And that's your streaming option. The whole tournament, and pretty much the whole year... Tennis Channel Plus, they show all the WTA matches just like normal, right? But for today, they embargoed it. Tennis Channel embargoed it. They didn't show it on Tennis Channel Plus. They only showed it on the cable station. And this is my annual viewing of a Tennis Channel broadcast. And um, Brett Haber, not a very exciting sportscaster. Sorry, Brett. Brett. I mean, I I don't really watch the channel anymore because you guys are not that great. But um, I guess Brett Haber's not calling matches anymore. They bumped him down to the the studio. That's probably a good demotion there. it's probably a good change. Um, Okay, the match. um, Lindsay Davenport on the broadcast, they were talking about how good Robachna's serve was right after she hit a double fault. So that's the kind of uh, quality that you get on most cable broadcasts of tennis these days. I would include ESPN in that as well. Just stuff that's not even close to what's happening on the on the in the match. Um. Um. So, Rebacona was down fifteen forty in the first game. She came back to hold. You thought, you know, she's earned the respect of treating that as somewhat of expected because of how well Robachna has been doing. Um, it was with serve most of that opening set. The games were fairly quick. I think before the tie break, the set was only 30 to 45 minutes long, so the games were not too intriguing. It started to pick up this match at 4-all in the first set. Robachna was serving, and Kvitova, as she can, um, she redlined her game, she hit some screaming winners, she put Rabakina on the defensive, and I thought in that particular 4-all game, I thought uh um, didn't play her absolute best, she made just a couple small errors here and there, but combine that with Kvitova's, um above average game... She redlined in that game, and she got the break. And Kvitova was serving for the first set at 5-4, which was surprising. I had not expected that going in, Kvitova to be in a winning position. And Rabakina is on one of those runs right now where nothing is ever done till it's done. When Serena was in her prime, if you were up 5-love, she had a 50-50 shot to get back into it. Um, when Djokovic was in his t- absolute 2011-2015 peak prime, if he was down a break, you always thought there was a very realistic chance he could get it back. If he was down 5-1 or 5-2, he, he could still come back and win it. The viewers knew it, he knew it, and the opponent knew it, which make these closing moments more interesting than they might otherwise, otherwise be, and... Serving for the first set of 5-4, I think Kvitova felt that pressure of playing an in-form player like she, uh Kvitova did not have the best game. Um, I think she had an ace in there, or she did. Kvitova did hit an ace in that game, but ultimately she was broken uh, to 30. Um, Rabakina definitely stepped it up in that moment to get it back to 5-5. So, that game was also surprising to me, because I thought, at that point, Kvitovo would serve it out, you know, in the end, even if it was a tough hold, because of the form stuff that I just talked about. So, I was definitely intrigued by this point. The game was definitely on by this point. The 4-all game surprised me, and the 5-4 game surprised me. Um, And then... Rabakina held easily to go up 6-5, and I texted all my friends, you know, oh, look out at the next game here, because I thought Rabakina had figured it out. I thought she was coming. I thought the moment had passed. I thought she'd break Kvitova in the next game to win that first set, 7-5. Then we get into the tiebreak. The tiebreak was awesome. Um, you know, when, when it was getting to the point of 4-all, uh, 5-all, it was kind of neat to see it on the scoreboard 6-6 4-4 in a big final that doesn't happen as often as you might think so it was nice to have a close match then it was 5-all then it was 6-all then it was 7-all then it was 8-7 I think it was 8-7 Kvitova and there was a point it was a set point for Kvitova And Rabakina hit a shot that landed at Kvitova's feet right at the baseline. And live, it looked out. And I think Kvitova started to celebrate. I haven't seen a replay of it. And somebody in the crowd yelled and screamed like the set was over. And uh, there was no call. Rabakina's ball uh, clipped the back of the baseline right at Kvitova's feet. And it was in and Kvitova could not handle it and she made a bit Kvitova made a big show of dropping her racket looking at the umpire appealing to the heavens about the i think ostensibly about the person in the crowd that shouted out but also about the fact that Rabakina hit that good of a shot in that most high leverage of moments I thought it was interesting, too. Kvitova made the motion to challenge, and the umpire said something like, um, Miss Kvitova is requesting a replay of the in-call on the baseline. (laughs) I just thought that was funny. It was kind of the umpire saying, like, yeah, that ball was in. Why are you even doing this? But that's the modern challenge system. Um, 8-all, 9-all, 10-all... 11-all, 12-all, at 12-all, I think one of the players, maybe it was Rabakina, forgot they had to change ends at 12-all. Yeah, not something you do uh, that much, the 12-all changeover in a tiebreak. And as this was all going on, I'm not going to necessarily recap the point-to-point of this, but at multiple points... In the tiebreak, it felt like both players had finally gotten the advantage, and this was the time they were going to convert their set point. And I will give the tennis channel broadcast credit. At a certain point, they had a graphic that they put on the screen where it said set point conversion rate, or it it just said set point. And Rubakovna 0 for 4, Kvitova 0 for 5, whatever it was. Rubakovna I think had one more set point before the last one, and that was a good. Knowledge by them, by Tennis Channel, because in that situation, I was wondering as the viewer, how, you know, oh, dang it, how many set points did you have? How many set points did this player have? How many set points did the other player have? So that tells me, there was somebody in the production truck that knew what was going on, which is a fairly uncommon thing for Tennis Channel. So, good job, Tennis Channel, on having that graphic. And... Uh, Kvitova mostly didn't celebrate throughout the match, but at a couple points in the tie break she let out you know the classic p o j d, her big scream. Uh, and she was she was fired up. Uh, Kvitova won that first set, 16-14 in the breaker. It was over an hour of a first set, and the breaker, the tiebreak, was over twenty minutes. Hopefully, the ushers let some fans in during the tiebreak changeovers, which you're not supposed to officially do, um, because if you went to the bathroom at five in the first set and you didn't make it back, you missed almost half an hour of action, and when a sport is keeping fans from looking at its product that they paid for for that long, I think that's a problem, and even if it had been 5 minutes instead of 30, I still think it's a problem when you're not letting fans look at your product that they paid money to see and they moved their lives around to come look at. So, first set, Kvitova, 7-6, 16-14, in this big, emotional sort of moment. And we've seen it before. There's two ways it can go, or three ways. One way is the person that won that set um, Doubles down, puts the foot on the gas pedal, and and accelerates away. Option two, and again, Rab- I was giving Robachna a lot of respect here because, c- you know, a guy like Djokovic has done this. You lose an epic set, and you come back and dominate the next two. You know, there, was a, there was a universe where Robachna could have won this one 6-7, 6-1, 6-2, or the third one is, it's three long, dra- drawn-out sets, and it goes for four hours. So the early games of the second set were very important in this regard. And Kvitova came out, held to 15, and then I was pretty surprised. Um, love 40 on the Rabakana serve the next game, eventually broke on the third opportunity. Uh, Kvitova goes up 2-love. And uh, Kvitova was up 2-love, serving 7-6-2-love. And I think I missed writing this down. But I think Kvitova had a... Rabakina had a break point chance in that game to get back on serve there in that second set. And even though you're up 7-6-2-love... Again, you know Kvitova's history of not closing out matches just last week at Indian Wells she blew a lead um so combine that with Rabakina's winning streak and the respect or the ability to win from anywhere in the score and these are big moments even though you have the lead um but Kvitova came back she got through that she held that game she's up three love and you know three one four one she's approaching the finish line at seven six four one, it definitely. She was, you know, obviously she's in the a dr- a commanding position. Is Kvitova, and there was no more plot twist. She held on the rest of the way. She, in fact, she broke again at five two to get the win. Seven six six two, pulling away from Elena Rabakana Petra Kvitova wins a fantastic match or a fantastic first set to win the 2023 Miami Open. Kvitova is the winner, 7-6, 6-2, over the hot Elena Rybakina. It's a big win, big, big win. And we can get into the larger implications of that now for Kvitova. So, she was stabbed in the 2017 off-season, I believe. In late 2017, in the winter, is when the home invasion stabbing happened. And this is not her first 1,000 title since then. When she came back in 2018, she won a couple of 1,000s and had a top-five season immediately coming off the injury. But even still... Um, When you factor that into account and when you think about, you know, like, when you compare this to the Monica Seles situation, um, you know, Kvitova's definitely got a lot of courage continuing with her career and having the success that she's had. It is not easy. And also, Kvitova's game has not been the most consistent. When she's at her A-plus level, she's unbeatable. Because of her power game, her power off the ground, and the power off the serve. Unfortunately for her, in her career, it's not at that level too often. And it hasn't really been there in the last three or four years at all. Look at her major results in the last couple of years. One round of 16 appearance in the last three years, and that's it. That's very slim pickings for a player of her caliber. Um... And yet, she was able to marshal this game to be at the high level for an entire two-week tournament, 12-day tournament. That is really not easy. So, both emotionally and with the game, Petra Kvitova really persisted, really persevered. She's not my favorite player, but what she did winning this event with you know considering those factors and considering the power at the the star power at the top of the game right now that that she won over those players damn impressive and for Kvitova nine masters titles and two grand slams and a a WTA finals title hall of fame that's what I say for Rabakina she'll be fine Dominant players lose matches all the time. I was telling my friends this about Alcaraz last night after he, after he lost to Yannick Sinner. Alcaraz will be fine. Dominant players lose matches all the time. World number ones lose matches all the time. I will say it is, it is surprising to me that neither Carlos Alcaraz nor Elena Rybakina won the Sunshine Double after they both made the semis here. That because they were such overwhelming favorites, so close to the finish line, I'm very surprised that they didn't get it done. Let's take a look at the WTA race points after the hardcourt season. Number one, Sabalenka still on top, 35-25. Rabakina's still number two, 32-11. Pegula still number three, 19-06. Sviantek, down to 4, 1810. Petra Kvitova up to 5, 1625. 1491, is number 6. Number 7 is Belinda Bencic 1486. Number 8 is Coco Goff, 1250. Number 9, Victoria Azarenka, 1117. And rounding out the top 10, still, Magda Lynette, 1058. The ATP Doubles Final was today, and in that match, Santiago Gonzalez and Eduard Roger Vaseline defeated Austin Krychek and Nicholas Mahu, 7-6, 7-5. Shout out to Mahu and to ERV, really. Didn't they used to play, didn't they used to be on the same team? That's interesting. Mahou and Roger Vaseline. Maybe I'm misremembering that. Maybe I'm thinking of Pierre-Hugues-Herbert. Anyway, um, so there's that result for you. Reading off the ATP doubles race for the year, Hijikata and Kubler still number one from the 2000 from their Australian Open title, but they will not be there for much longer if they don't keep playing. Uh, Gonzalez and ERV are number two, 1880. Three, Bopana-Ebden, 1550 four Nice Zelensky, fourteen ten. Number five, Kulhoff and Skupski fourteen ten. Number six, Nathaniel Lamons and Jackson Withrow, two guys who I've never heard of, twelve seventy. Number seven, Glaspool Heliovara, eleven eighty. Number eight, Maximo Gonzalez and Andre Schmultini, eleven ten. These are all sort of familiar names that are here for the most part. Just in a different order potentially um and i think that's all that i got for today so let's move on to tomorrow here's the schedule for sunday april 2nd 2023 the miami open finals part two 1 p.m eastern the men's singles final number four Daniil medvedev versus number 10 yannick sinner and then at 3.30 p.m. Eastern, the women's doubles final closes out the event. Number two seeds, Coco Goff and Jessica Pagula, taking on the another North American team of Taylor Townsend and Leila Fernandez. The ATP match will be on tennis TV and on cable. And the WTA match probably, you know, certainly would be on Tennis Channel, you'd think, because of the players in that match. And because it's doubles, it might be on Tennis Channel Plus as well, but I don't know. Anyway, to make it short, get the matches on the usual platforms. That's going to do it for today. Thanks for listening to the end, if you have. And we'll catch you again next time. This podcast was courtesy of Oregon Productions. Hi everyone, and welcome to Trips Tennis Talk, the amateur podcast about professional tennis. Today it's a Miami Open Finals edition, and the finals that were today were the Women's Singles Final and the Men's Doubles Final. Let's jump right into it, but before we do that, um... Hi, everyone, and welcome to Trips Tennis Talk, the amateur podcast about professional tennis, Miami Open Finals Edition, and